I want us to turn in our Bibles to book of Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20. I'm going to try to give you a summary statement of what I'm going to talk about this morning. From chapter 20 and 21, I'm not going to go all the way through chapter 21, but looking at chapters 20 and 21, let's just begin reading in verse 20, in verse 1 of chapter 20, and then I will uh, just give you what I think is a, a hopefully an adequate summary statement, and then we'll move through a few thoughts about these passages of Scripture. Verse 1 of chapter 20. Now Abraham moved from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while, he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said to his wife, or, and then there Abraham said of his wife, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Let me just get you geographically located, okay? We're down in the area that we know today. It's on the news regularly, the Gaza Strip. Okay, so we're getting on the outskirts of the promised land, and Abraham obviously is falling back into an old pattern all right, that has haunted him and that is affecting him and in some way puts the promise of God at risk. Verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience, so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all of yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you? that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom. You have done these things to me. You have done things to me that should not have been done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. Okay, so you start to get a little more of the picture here in terms of what's been going on with the struggles that Abraham and Sarah face. What is the... If you're going to say, what is the overarching lesson that we learn from the life of Abraham and Sarah, which God, in his sovereign will, recorded at great length for our encouragement and for, clearly, our warning? Okay, what is the, what is the overall thrust of what's going on here? Okay, and I, I think as you get into chapter 21, we're going to see that the promised son that has been waited for for 25 years has now been born. Okay, that's where we're going to come today. Okay, so we have this, mis this, this mix of 
blessings and consequences. Both are present. Abraham and Sarah's life shows us that God's blessings come because of his gracious favor and disposition. But those promises and blessings are often mingled with the negative consequences of our faithless choices. Okay? He works because of his grace and brings blessing into our lives. Often those blessings are colored or in a way negatively affected by the sinful and faithless choices that we tend to make. And so as we look at Abraham and, Abraham and Sarah's life, we find tremendous promises and fulfillment, but we also find this cloud that hangs behind it of negative, negative consequences that are the result of doubt in the life of Abraham and Sarah. So what I want to do is, is just kind of move through this text. I want to make three basic observations this morning. The first one is this. God protects his people in spite of our sinfulness. Okay, God protects his people in spite of our sinfulness or their sinfulness, as we're going to see in this text. In verses 1 and 2, we find Abraham and Sarah come into this new geographic location. What we're not told in the text is why the move is taking place. We don't know. We know that Abraham is a, a cattleman, that he has large herds, and that there is sometimes need for a herdsman to move his herds to find better pasture. Okay, perhaps there's some type of an issue like that that is driving this move. But we know that Abraham is moving to a new place, which raises a new tension. He has a wife that is apparently attractive in spite of her age. Or the alternative is that the pagan kings would take wives from other people in order to create alliances. And we know that historically happened all the time. Okay, where a sibling would be shipped off to another king as the, while they're living there, and it creates somewhat of a covenant or an alliance, a means of protection. Okay, the text doesn't tell us why Abimelech takes Abraham's wife, but we do know that he takes her because Abraham lies about her and deceives Abimelech about the true relationship between Abraham and Sarah. Okay, so what is it that threatens? The people of God. You know, often we think that what threatens us is the attacks of the evil one. We think that what threatens us is often outside influences and people on the outside. But in this case, what is it that threatens the promises of God and the people of God? I think one thing we see is that the threat comes from the sinful, godless human planning of Abraham. Okay? Abraham is prone to set his own trap and step in it. Okay? He's, he's got that kind of a tendency, if you will. So... The, the, the promise is threatened by the sinful, godless choice of Abraham. And what we find in this case is that this is something that Abraham has wrestled with or struggled with in the past, hasn't he? You go back to chapter 12 when they've gone to Egypt and Abraham lies to Pharaoh about his wife and the promise that God has given to them, the enormous, beautiful promise of God, is threatened because of the sinful choices of Abraham. And I think one of the principles that emerges when we look at this is we have, all of us have tendencies to struggle in specific areas of our Christian experience, don't we? Our struggles may be different, but the truth is that all of us wrestle in different and unique areas from time to time in our walk with the Lord. And we have to learn how to battle, how to man up, how to woman up in those circumstances. Okay, and Abraham is, he's still wrestling with this. And I, what I want to do is try to kind of get to the root of this struggle that Abraham has that continues to put the promises of God at risk. 
The beautiful thing in this story is the intervention of God. Abraham's God is a repeated struggle. Okay, but the intervention of God is the beautiful thing that we see in verse 3. God came to Abimelech, the king who has taken Sarah, in a dream at night. And he has his, you can just imagine this, okay? Abimelech has given his full attention to God, okay? Why? God has come to him with a clear warning about choices that he has made and about ignorance on his part. Okay, he was tricked into making this decision, into doing something that in the ancient pagan world was normative. And so when he gets this dream, God is, what is God doing? God is intervening to correct his people, Abraham and Sarah. He's also intervening to protect his promises. Okay, so the promise is given by God. It's threatened by the choices of his people. God intervenes, not because of the goodness of Abraham, not because of the goodness of Sarah, but because of the goodness of God. Okay, so this this intervention that ultimately is going to be uncomfortable, very uncomfortable for Abraham, as God peels back the layers of his sin and his lies and deceit, Abraham is finally going to see that was the intervention of God. That was the protection of God. And so in this text, God intervenes via a dream. And verses 6 and 7 tell us that, that, that Abimelech, or verse, yeah, verse 6, uh, tells us that, that God is, is coming to him and he, he knows that it was done with a clear conscience, that God has kept him from sinning, but now God has specific things that he wants him to do. I think, I think what's amazing in this, in this account, okay, as you read this, is the people that God chose to be a light to the world, Okay, to be a witness of God's goodness and grace are actually what? They become an impediment to it. They, because of sinful choices, become a hindrance to the purposes of God. And I think all of us have probably, from time to time in our lives, experienced circumstances where our choices have been the cause of bringing disrepute to the name of a holy and glorious God. Okay, Abraham should have been the light. And instead, what is he? Okay, he's... He's not the solution. He's the problem in this scenario. But God in his grace is going to come after Abraham. He's going to pursue him. And I, I think if I was to say, what is the, 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 the major mistake that Abraham is making in this text? I think it is this. I think it is that Abraham is misunderstanding the purpose of the presence of God's people. They were there to be light. They were there to be salt. They were there to make a difference in the land of Gerar. But because of a tendency that Abraham has, he dims the light. He turns down the volume of light that could have been shining in this area of Gerar. He disregarded the importance of his testimony and brought disrepute to the people of God. Here's the question I want you to wrestle with with me this morning. Why did Abraham lie and stumble again? Okay, because when something like this comes up, you can say, well, Abraham, you just shouldn't have lied. But sometimes you've got to peel it back and say, wait a second, time out. What's going on in Abraham's heart that causes him to lie in these types of circumstances? Okay, and I think at one level, it's, it's fairly easy to, to uncover it. Uh, why is Abraham lying? Why is he stumbling? Okay, verse 11. After Abraham is rebuked by King Abimelech, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Okay, all right, now we know kind of the Achilles heel for Abraham. 
Okay, Abraham's Achilles heel is the fear of man. Okay, he is more afraid of individuals, of men, than he is of God. And here's what's fascinating. He's just come off in chapter 18 of a personal encounter with God himself in which God has reiterated the promises about a son that is coming through he and Sarah. And you would think that Abraham, most of us would say, hey, if God gave me that kind of an audible, that visible meeting with him, I would be changed. And here's what I would say. I would say that Abraham probably was changed for a time, but then he is thrust into a circumstance where he is literally fearing for his life. Okay, so at some level, it's easy for us to criticize him, but at, the, at another level, we have to say, you know what? Let's understand what's going on here. Because if I don't learn the lessons that Abraham's life is recorded to teach, I will be prone to repeat them myself. He fears man and not God. I think something else happens. He doubts God's ability to protect him. And that's got to be for him, that's the tougher thing to confess, isn't it? He doubts the ability of God to protect him. So what does he continue to do? He continues to take the circumstance into his own hands. He comes up with a plan to do what? To preserve his life at the expense of who? At the expense of his wife. And if he's putting Sarah at risk, what else is he putting at risk? He's putting the promises of God at risk. So I think in many ways we would say that in this fear of being unprotected, in this desire for security, what does Abraham do? Abraham becomes reckless. He becomes careless. And it's fascinating to me. The thing that he's seeking to protect, he is actually put at risk. That's what happens when we walk by faith, isn't it? What is Abraham's problem? Maybe we could say it this way. Abraham has bad theology. Okay? Abraham has bad theology. What is his bad theology? His bad theology is that God is small and Abraham is big. That's his bad theology. When you are big and God is small, guess what happens? You yield to the fear of man and you make choices to take matters into your own hands. When we're doing that, we don't walk by faith. We're walking by sight. Okay, and I think Abraham's, at, 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 at the core of his problem is this poor theology, when in reality God is big and Abraham is small and should trust him by living out truth. Abraham has made himself big and his God small. And when we do that, what happens? We will continually make bad choices because we're walking by sight. Okay, we're making choices based upon what we see and the outcomes that we anticipate. And when we do that, we put God out of the equation. And I think something else is present in verse 13. Verse 12, he says, Besides, she really is my sister, which tells you that Abraham has intentionally deceived this man. The daughter of my father, not of my mother, she became my wife. That part he had never told. And verse 13, And when God made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. So there is an intended plan, okay, for Abraham and Sarah to be big and for God to be small. Okay, that, that's, that's what we see on the surface. But what does Abraham mean when he says, God had me wander from my father's household? Okay, if you go back and just look at this a little bit in some of the commentaries, what most of the commentators think Abraham is indicating here is 
that I've been kind of put on this journey and I really don't know where it all ends up. I've been kind of pushed out. I've been made to wander. And the idea is that I have been put in a situation where I don't know the end game real clearly. Which is a doubt about what? It's a doubt about the goodness of God. Here's what happens. When we doubt the power of God and when we doubt the goodness of God and when we doubt the plan of God, we will always step into the place of God. Okay, it's what we always will do. Abraham had doubt about the goodness of God. And there's a sense in which I would say this. I would say, after 25 years, I understand that Abraham is wrestling here. Okay, there, there's a degree to which we would say that Abraham's wrestling with understanding the goodness and power of God to fulfill the promise. After 25 years, you, you can understand that he's wrestling, but it doesn't excuse, okay, his sinful choices. And so God uses a pagan kink to confront Abraham and to rebuke him, which is a sign of what? It's a sign of God's love. Okay? He's not going to let go of Abraham. Abraham does some of the foolish and most stupid things. But what does God do? God continues to be committed to restoring him and using him for his glory. Okay? He is the man that God has chosen. Sarah is the woman that God has chosen. Now, let me just push this idea around a little bit. Doubt about God's goodness is always a major cause of disobedience. Okay, doubt about the goodness of God is often the sin that lies behind our sin. Okay, because if I doubt that God is going to fulfill his promises, if I doubt that God is able to keep his promises, if I doubt God's love and commitment to me, guess what happens? I start to cut corners in my convictions to get the things that I really want out of life. One writer put it this way. He said, I want something that I don't think I can get through obedience to God. Okay, do you understand that? I want something that I don't think I can get through obedience to God. What is Abraham's idol? What does he value more than anything? Abraham values his security. And whenever his security, his life is threatened, what does Abraham do? Abraham creates a godless plan. Okay, which means he becomes what? He becomes an idolater. Okay, he becomes a man who is worshiping security rather than trusting in God to be his security. And when he does that, he has to come up with all kinds of plans that end up making him look bad, that compromise the testimony of God's witness and also put at risk the promises of God. Okay, so we, we need that when, when we are wrestling with failure in our lives, we, we sometimes need to say, just stop doing that. But sometimes we need to say to ourselves, why am I prone to fall in that area again and again? What doubt about the goodness of God? What doubt about the ability of God am I harboring in my heart that comes out when I'm in the pressure cooker. Okay, and Abraham has an issue with, is God going to be true to his promises? He doubts the goodness of God. I want something I don't think I can get through obedience to God. I need it. God isn't giving it, so I take it for myself. Okay, Abraham wants security. He wants everything to be fine. And so he continues to fall into this pattern. Okay, and I think it's important that we just sometimes identify the pattern that is present. What is the cure for this struggle with security? I think the cure is the gospel of Christ. I think the cure for this struggle is Romans 8.32. If God did not spare his own son, 
won't he with him freely give us all things? Okay, what do we need to do? We need to remember the goodness of God that is expressed through the cross and then trust God with our future lives, with our security, with our happiness. Okay, our problem is we doubt the goodness of God in many areas and then we start to take things that we don't think that God may ever give us. Okay, and there's there's a, a wrestling that we do there. Okay, let's look at verses 14 and 16 then. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. He returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you. Live wherever you like. And what is this? What do verses 14 and 15 say to us? They say to us that God is bringing gracious blessings into the life of Abraham when they are what? They are completely undeserved. And yet what is God doing? God is blessing someone who is wrestling and struggling. Okay, because why? Because God is good. It's what God is trying to prove to Abraham over and over. He rescues him from this failure. Okay, miraculously rescues him by changing the heart of a king. And then he blesses him. And then 17 to verse verse 18 is what to me is absolutely amazing. It says, then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife, and his slave girls, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. This is amazing. Okay? God says to Abimelech, you go to Abraham, you resolve this situation, give his back his wife, he will pray for you, and you will be healed. Now, think of this. Abraham is God's representative, he's God's prophet, his spokesman who is completely humiliated by his own sinful planning. But he is not discarded. Okay? He is not discarded by his sinfulness. He is restored by God's gracious favor and put back into his ministry. Abraham prays and what happens? God does what he should not do based on Abraham's behavior. God does what he does based upon his grace. Okay? And that's a lesson that that kind of jumps out of this text. God works through and protects his people in spite of their sinfulness. However, he doesn't tolerate our sinfulness. And I think it's one of the things, as I make that statement, okay, that God protects his people in spite of their sinfulness, the thing I want you to notice that hangs in the background is he doesn't tolerate our sinfulness. Okay, he exposes it and seeks to find a resolution to it, and then he plugs us back into his work and purposes. Okay, that's the grace of God. That should cause us to be so humbled that we we come away saying, God, I'm going to trust you. The deliverance that takes place in this text is not a result of Abraham's scheme. The deliverance that takes place in this text is a result of God's deliverance, of God's power, of God's work. Okay, He intervenes to stop the plan of Abraham. Why? Because the plan of Abraham is going to destroy the promise. So that what happens? In this attempt... To rescue and provide security. What has Abraham actually done? He's actually put everything at risk. Okay, and that's what we do, folks. When human planning displaces the power and plans of God. Okay, we bring devastation. If And because of his love, if you're God's child, what is he going to do? He's going to come after you. He's going to come after you, and he's going to draw you back to the place of abundance. Okay, and it's very, just very, very powerful when we look at this. The deceiver prays for Abimelech, and God heals him. That is humbling grace. Let's look at the end at the beginning of chapter 21. 
It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. As he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he promised. Now, here's what to me is so neat. Because you come out of this season of doubt. And the next thing is what? God did for Sarah what he had promised. And Abraham was on the time frame now, wasn't he? God had told him, I'm going to come back in a year. And in a year, your wife Sarah is going to have a son. And the promise that I gave to you 25 years ago is now going to find an amazing fulfillment. And so when you, when you get to verse verse 1 of chapter 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, just as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham. And then this has to be there in his old age at the very time that God had promised. Abraham gave the name Isaac, which we know means he laughs, to the son that Sarah bore to him. Okay, after how long? After 25 years and a whole lot of messes, God is still fulfilling his promise. When Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him according to the covenant from Genesis 15. As God had commanded him. Here he's walking in obedience. Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac, his son, was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about it will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You know, and the truth is this, you know, you're kind of, you've been waiting for many, many weeks for this text, right? Working through the difficulties of this text, the struggles of what it is to study through the book of Genesis. And finally, what do you find? You find the grace of God expressed towards people who are evidently undeserving of that grace. But that's the gospel, right? I mean, the fulfillment of this promise is not about Abraham and Sarah. They willingly and freely put it at risk on a regular basis. And yet God, because they're his children and he's made promises to them, continues to demonstrate his faithfulness, his power, his ability, all of which Abraham doubted. Do you see? This is the lesson we need to learn. We have a tendency to doubt the goodness of God. We have a tendency to doubt the capacity of God. We have a tendency to doubt the love of God. And we do things like Abraham and Sarah. Folks, please understand this. The reason God recorded these stories is because he knew they would resonate with your heart. He knew they would resonate with my heart. That as I study Abraham as a man and study Sarah as a woman, I say, oh yeah, yeah, I felt like that. I felt like that. Okay, why does Moses record these things? So that Israel would learn to trust in the promises of God and that they would know that their forebears weren't perfect people. They were people who desperately needed the grace of God and received it. Folks, listen. I need the grace of God. You need the grace of God. God's grace comes for free. And God's grace to us is always adequate. God's up to the task of rescuing you from your sin when you're willing to turn. And he will come after you. He will pursue. He will knock on the door of your heart. And here's what he says, Revelation 21. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Of who? Of the people of his church. His children. And what is he saying? I want a relationship with you. 
I want to bless you. I want to fulfill my promises to you. But I'm not going to fulfill them when you persist in sin. And so he comes with restorative and corrective measures through all kinds of means. Through his people. Through people that don't even know Christ. He'll work. He'll rescue you from compromising his testimony. And he'll restore you to useful ministry. And service for his glory. That's what God does. And what is it? It's evidence of his grace. The purpose of this whole story is to show us that God is good. So verse 1 says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. Isn't this beautiful? This child that is about to be born is a result of grace. Undeserved favor poured out on a sinner. And the promise of God is fulfilled. And the seed of hope for a Savior begins. Because God said to, to, to Abraham, what? Chapter 12, verse 2. In you, all families of the earth, Abraham, will be blessed. Abraham willingly put everyone at risk. Would God tolerate that? No. What does God do? God pursues him and seeks him and brings through him the hope of the nations, ultimately. Because it is in that line that Jesus comes. Okay, that was God's promise. I'm going to bless all nations through you, Abraham. And Abraham messes and he, he zigzags through life. And you're just like, this is the man of faith. I mean, give me a break. If God can use him and befriend him, he can use you. Okay, that's, you look at this story. Okay, and say, man, I'm glad I'm not like Abraham. No, we, I am. And God blesses and works. Why? Because the Lord, I just love that verse one, was gracious to Sarah. His disposition towards us as his children is one of a decided affection. And every parent knows this. Okay? You watch your kids struggle from time to time. But your heart is, you have a disposition of affection towards your children. You are gracious towards them. You would never think about them the way that you think about the evil children of other parents. Okay? You just, you would never think that because you, why? It's my son. It's my daughter. Okay? It's my daughter is all I can say. Okay? But it, what, what's the disposition? It's almost like no matter what they do, you still love them. Right? And that, what is God saying through this story? The Lord was gracious to Sarah. What didn't he do? He did not give her what she deserved. He gave her the promise. He gave her the seed of the gospel. Because he is gracious. The other thing that you learn in verses 1 and 2 is that God is faithful. Notice three times there is a lean towards the word of God. Notice what it says. The Lord was gracious to her as he had said, and the Lord did what he had promised. Okay, that's the second one. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised. Okay, so the fulfillment of this birth promise to Abraham and Sarah is what? It is based upon the faithfulness of God. Three times in two verses, the fulfillment is tied to the promise that God gave. The promise that God gave. The promise that God gave, as he said. Okay, why does God fulfill his promises? He is gracious. He is faithful. And here's the thing that's really cool in this. Because these, these promises push us into the realm of the impossible. Okay, you just got to go back. Chapter 18. Why did Sarah laugh with a laugh of resentment and disbelief? What does she say? Shall I at my age, as good as dead? Bear a son? And she laughed. Shall anyone say of Abraham that his wife 
is giving birth to a son. He's 100 years old. He's well past. Okay, so the, the, the picture is this. It's this laughter of unbelief that God would work through Abraham and Sarah became an unbelievable thing to Sarah. But what this text shows us is that the birth of this child in the mind of Sarah, in the mind of Abraham, and in the mind of God is a miracle. It's a miracle. Verse 4, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, something he thought he would never have the privilege of doing, this right of becoming one of the people of the promise of God. He did it just as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. What is she? She's mystified. She is in complete disbelief. It is, it, what, what has happened? Her resentment, her doubt, her disbelief has been transformed into laughter. Folks, when God works in amazing ways in your life, well, you know what he does? He replaces our fear, our disbelief with joy. And that's what he's done here. In the Old Testament, it says he has turned my laughter into dan- or, or my sorrow into laughter. My downcastness into rejoicing. That's what God has done. That's what Sarah's reckoning. What are they saying? This is an act of God. The birth of this child is an act of God. It is an event over which man has no control. And Abraham, when the child is born, in obedience to God, he calls him Isaac. He laughs. Okay, this, this laughter of unbelievable joy. This laughter of, of response to the faithfulness of God and to the power of God that has now been gloriously revealed in the fulfillment of the promise from Genesis 12 and verse 3. Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. This is the undeserving grace of God. God who keeps His promises even when he could have judged. And this is what Abraham and Sarah experience. Can I ask you this question this morning? What circumstance do you face today where you need to believe God for the impossible, the unbelievable, or the humorous? What circumstance is causing you to doubt? The response that Abraham should have given to God was the response of patient faith persevering faith, saying, God, you are good, you are able, you are faithful, and I will trust you. Hebrews 6.12 tells us that ultimately, this is Abraham's reputation. We do not want you to become lazy, the writer of Hebrews says, but to imitate those who through faith, faith and patience inherit what has been promised. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to him to swear by, he swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting, and here's this, this is a thought that blows my mind. And so after waiting patiently. Okay, that's God's assessment of Abraham. That to me is unbelievable. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Isaiah 26.3 talks about patient faith. You keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord. 
forever, for the Lord is the rock eternal. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. Opposite of what Abraham has often done. Acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. Okay? Abraham, when he was listening, to go back to chapter 12. you got a guy that starts out gloriously. Chapter 15, a man who fulfills the covenant beautifully. But intermixed in those good things, in those deep times of patient waiting, there are struggles that God rescues him from. Difficulties based on bad choices and doubt about the goodness of God and the provision of God and the love of God. And what does God do? God is rescuing me and rescuing me and rescuing me. And later in Hebrews 12, he can say, Abraham waited patiently. I'm thinking that is a gracious evaluation. But folks, that's how God sees us. As his children from a posture of affection. And when we drift into sin, he will draw us back to a place of faith. And the last thought I just leave you is this. As you read on in verses 8 and 9 in this text, you find that when Abraham, probably Isaac is about three or four years old, Abraham throws a party for the weaning of this child. He's no longer going to be so closely attached to his mother through breastfeeding. He's going to be coming into his own. And what does Abraham do? Abraham, he says, look, we're just going to have a big celebration. And in the midst of that celebration, there is a heartache. Right? Everybody's celebrating. Verse 9, or verse 8, the child grew and was weaned. And on that day, Isaac On the day that Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah, and this is just one of those ominous kind of pauses in the text. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to Abraham was mocking. She said to Abraham, get rid of that slave woman and her son. For that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly. Why? It concerned his son. You see, what's happened here? Okay, what's happening? Okay, what's happening is past decisions have consequences. Okay? And so here's the thing we need to remember as God's children. In his grace, he'll rescue us from our sin and he will use us. But as we look forward in our lives, here's what we need to remember. Past decisions... We'll have, we'll have ramifications. They will have an effect. And so the warning goes out. The promise about sowing and reaping goes out from this text. Okay? If I mess in sin, it will negatively impact my life. Okay? And God calls us through this. This, this text, I believe, serves somewhat as a, as, a, as a warning about the struggles and the pain of bad choices and a reminder of Abraham's own sinfulness that he participated in this process that brought about this son who complicated matters. And that's really what ends up here. God reiterates in verse 12 his promise to Abraham that it's going to come through Isaac and encourages Abraham to allow his son Ishmael to move on. It's heartbreaking for Abraham. Absolutely heartbreaking. But it is recorded because it is the result of choices that Abraham had made. I'll tell you that it raises some you know, questions, obviously, in the back of our minds. But what does God say to Abraham? Verse 13. God says to Abraham, I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. What is God saying to Abraham? Abraham, you got to let him go. 
And you got to trust me. You got to let me provide his security. Oh, now where we are, we're all the way back to the beginning, to the Achilles heel. Where God says, Abraham, trust me, release that son. I'll protect him. You down to verse, I think it's verse 17. The child's crying out in a desperate situation. Here's what the text says. And God heard him. God heard him. He is near to the brokenhearted. His protection comes. Okay? And it's, it's just one of the, the unique aspects of this text is that our past decisions can affect and complicate our present and future life. Okay? And it's something that just emerges from this. Okay? In our doubt and fear, we tend to create our own plans. Okay? God graciously uses us in spite of our own plans. But our own plans sometimes have future consequences that are negative and that in a sense can cloud the fulfillment of the promises. It's one of the lessons that we learn. It's a text that in some ways is, is, is sad and heartbreaking because there's an unavoidable principle in it. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he shall also reap. And so I ask this question. What about my past failures and mistakes? Okay? Because you may sit here this morning and say, okay, I've got some of those. I've got decisions that I regret, situations, circumstances that are affecting my present life. What about them? Salvation and hope come through the promised son of Abraham because Jesus ultimately comes from him. Abraham's son was born at the right time. Galatians 4, 4 tells us at the right time, God sent forth his son to bear the price for our sin. What about your past failures? First John 1 says this, if you confess them, he is faithful and just to forgive you. And that tells us that the blood of Christ will cleanse us from all sin. Okay, now we may wrestle with consequences of the past decisions, but as far as God is concerned, they are forgiven and forgotten. And we may wrestle through some of that, but with God, it is completely gone and forgiven. Another application. What decisions are you contemplating today that are driven by doubt about the goodness, faithfulness, and power of God? Because Abraham brings us into that kind of a place, doesn't he? Where we're preparing to or thinking about making decisions that are driven by doubt about the goodness and power of God. Will he provide what I need? Will he provide the right mate? Will he, will he if I stay sexually pure, pure, provide satisfaction in that realm in the future in marriage? Okay, financially, it will stretch you. Okay, I mean, just in every way, you can just think of many, many areas of temptation where we are tempted to doubt the goodness of God and take what we want, ignoring God. What fears and doubts may we need to confess to God today? No matter what fears you face, God hears. And then just the reminder that some struggles die with great difficulty. Because Abraham's back in this place in chapter 20 because of a past pattern. And we need to realize, you know what? By the Spirit, we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh so that we can, Romans 8.13 says, really live. Okay? So if you wrestle and you, you, you fight with the struggle and you, and you battle with it, 
Okay, a tendency. And it may it could, it could be in any area. Okay? The story of Abraham is here to tell you you can experience victory when you trust the promises of God, the goodness of God, and the power of God. He's faithful. Take matters into your own hands. All bets are off. Okay? All bets are off. And we clad our testimony for the glory of the gospel of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word this morning.